Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, episode 32. Ever since he became a dweller in the air of Glashgar, Gibby, mindful of his first visit thereto, and of his grand experience, on that occasion had been in the habit as often as he saw reason to expect a thunderstorm and his duties would permit of ascending the mountain and there on the crest of the granite peak awaiting the arrival of the tumult everything antagonistic in the boy everything that could naturally find relief or pleasure or simple outcome in resistance or contention barred as it was by the exuberance of his loving kindness from obtaining satisfaction or elevation in strife with his fellows found it wherever he could encounter the forces of nature and personal wrestle with them were possible and always in wildest sympathy with any uproar of the elements the absence of personality in them allowed the coexistence of sympathy and antagonism in respect of them except those truths awaking delight at once calm and profound of which so few know the power and the direct influence of human relation gibby's emotional joy was more stirred by storm than by anything else and with all forms of it he was so familiar that young as he was he had unconsciously begun to generalize on its phases Towards the evening of a wondrously fine day in the beginning of August, a perfect day of summer in her matronly beauty, it began to rain. All the next day the slopes and stairs of Glashgar were alternately gro glowing in sunshine and swept with heavy showers, driven slanting and strong gusts of wind from the northwest. How often he was wet through and dried again that day, Gibby could not have told. He wore so little that either took but a few moments, and he was always ready for a change. The wind and the rain together were cold, but that only served to let the sun shine deeper into him when it returned. In the afternoon there was less sun, more rain, and more, more wind, and at last the sun seemed to give it up. The wind grew to a hurricane, and the rain strove with it, which should inhabit the space. The whole upper region was like a huge mortar, in which the wind was the pestle, and with the innumerable gyres vainly ground at the rain. Gibby drove his sheep to the refuge of a pen on the lower slope of a valley that ran at right angles to the wind, where they were sheltered by a rock behind, forming one side of the enclosure, and dikes of loose stones forming the others. At a height, there was no tradition of any flood having reached. He then went home, and having told Robert what he had done and had his supper, set out in the early failing light to ascend the mountain. A great thunderstorm was at hand, and was calling him. It was almost dark before he reached the top, but he knew the surface of Glashgar nearly as well as the floor of the cottage. Just as he had fought his way to the crest of the peak in the face of one of the fiercest of the battles abroad that night, a sudden rush of fire made the heavens like the smoke-filled vault of an oven, and at once the thunder followed in a succession of single sharp explosions without any roll between. The mountain shook with the wind, 
shocks, but the first of the thunderstorm was the worst, and it soon passed. The wind and the rain continued, and the darkness was filled with the rush of the water, everywhere wildly tearing down the sides of the mountain. Thus heaven and earth held communication in torrents all the night. Down the steeps of the limpid air they ran to the hard sides of the hills, where at once, as if they were no longer at home, and did not like the change, they began to work mischief to the ears and heart of Gibby. Their noises were a mass of broken music. Every spring and autumn the floods came, and he knew them, and they were welcome to him in their seasons. It required some care to find his way down through the darkness and the waters to the cottage, but as he was neither in fear nor in haste, he was in little danger, and his hands and feet could pick out the path where his eyes were useless. When at length he reached his bed, it was not for a long time to sleep, but to lie awake and listen to the raging of the wind all about and above and below the cottage, and the rushing of the streams down past it on every side. To his imagination it was as if he lay in the very bed of the channel by which the waters of heaven were shooting to the valleys of the earth, and when he fell asleep at last his dream was of the rush of the river, of the water of life from under the throne of God, and he saw men drink thereof, and every one as he drank straightway knew that he was one with the Father, and one with every child of his throughout the infinite universe. He woke, and what remained of his dream was love in his heart, and in his ears the sound of many waters. It was morning. He rose, and dressing hastily, opened the door. What a picture of gray storm rose all spread before him. The wind fiercely invaded the cottage, thick charged with water drops, and stepping out he shut the door in haste, lest it should blow upon the old people in bed and wake them. He could not see far on any side, for the rain that fell and the mist and steam that rose, upon which the wind seemed to have no power. But wherever he did see, there wa water was running down. Up the mountain he went. He could hardly have told why. Once for a moment, as he ascended, the veil of the vapor either rose or was torn asunder, and he saw the great wet gleam of the world below. By the time he reached the top, it was as light as it was all the day, but it was with a dull yellow glare, as if the sun were obscured by the smoke and vaporous fumes of a burning world which the rain had been sent to quench. It was a wild, hopeless scene, as if all nature was therefore drowned in tears. No Rachel weeping for her children, but the whole creation crying for the father and refusing to be comforted. Gibbie stood gazing and thinking. Did God like to look at the storm he made? If Jesus did, would he have left it all and gone to sleep when the wind and waves were howling and fleeing the boat about like a toy between them? He must have been teared, surely. With what? Then first Gibby saw that perhaps it teared Jesus to heal people, that every time what cured man or woman was life that went out of him and that he missed it, perhaps not from his heart, but from his body. And if it were so, then it was no wonder if he slept in the midst of a right splendid storm. And upon that Gibby remembered what St. Matthew says just before he tells about the storm, that he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities, and bare our sicknesses. That that moment it seemed as if he must be himself in some wave-tossed boat, and not upon a mountain of stone, for Glashgar gave a great heave under him, 
then rocked and shook from side to side a little and settled down so still and steady that motion and the mountain seemed again two ideas that never could be present together in any mind the next instant came an explosion followed by a frightful roaring and hurling as of mingled water and stones and on the side of the mountain beneath him he saw that through the mist looked like a cloud of smoke or dust rising to a height he darted towards it. As he drew nearer, the clouds seemed to condense, and presently he saw plainly enough that it was a great column of water, shooting up and out from the face of the mountain. It sank and rose again with the alternation of a huge pause. The mountain was cracked, and through the crack, with every throb of its heart, the lifeblood of the great hull of the world seemed beating out. Already it had scattered masses of gravel on all sides, and down the hill a river was shooting in sheer cataract, raving and tearing and carrying stones and rocks with it like foam. Still and still it paused and rushed and ran, born like another, Xanthus, a river full-grown from the heart of the mountain. Suddenly Gibbie, in the midst of this astonishment and awful delight, noted the path of the new stream, and from his knowledge of the face mountain, perceived it, that its course was direct for the cottage. Down the hill he shot after it, as if it were a wild beast that his fault had freed from its cage. He was not terrified, one believing like him in the perfect love and perfect will of a father of man, as the fact of facts fears nothing. A perfect faith would lift us absolutely above fear. It is in the cracks, crannies, and gothy faults of our belief, the gaps that are not faith, that the snow of apprehension settles and the ice of unkindness forms. The torrent had already worn for itself a channel. What earth there was, it was swept clean away to the rock, and the loose stones it had thrown up its side were hurled with it in its headlong course. But as Gibby bound along, falling with a speed almost equal to its own, he was checked in the midst of his hearty haste by the sight, a few yards away of another light terror, another torrent issuing from the side of the hill, and rushing to swell the valley stream. Another and another he saw, with growing wonder as he ran. Before he reached home, he passed some six or eight. Two of them joined the one who he was following, and he had to cross them as he could. The others he saw, near and farther off one foaming deliverance after another issuing from the entrails of the mountains now and then a huge boulder loosened from its bed by the trail of this or that watery serpent would go rolling leaping bounding down the hill before him and just in time he escaped one that came springing after him as if it were a living thing that wanted to devour him nor was glashgar the only torrent bearing mountain of gormagarn at that day though the rain prevented gibbie from seeing anything of what the rest of them were doing the fountains of the great deep were broken up and seemed rushing together to drown the world and still the wind was raging and the rain tumbling to the earth rather in sheets than in streams. Gibbie at length forsook the bank of the new torrent to take the nearest way home, and soon reached the point whence first returning in that direction he always looked to see the cottage. For a moment he was utterly bewildered. No cottage was to be seen. From the top of the rock against which it was built shot the whole mass of the water he had been pursuing, now dark with stones and gravel, now gray with foam or glassy in the lurid light darted to the place. When he came near to his amazement, there stood the little house unharmed, the very center of the cataract. For a few yards on the top of the rock, the torrent had a nearly horizontal channel, 
along which it rushed and unbated speed to the edge, and then shot clean over the cottage, dropping only a dribble of rain on the foot from the underside of its half arc. The garden ground was gone, swept clean from the bare rock, which made a fine, smooth shoot for the water a long distance in front. He darted through the drizzle and spray, reached the door, and lifted the latch. The same moment he heard Janet's voice in joyful greeting, "'No, no! Come awa', laddie,' she said. "'Wawa had thought we wad had to leave the rock to win out to the, the water.' We're but waiting you to gang. Come, Robert, we're all one doing the hill. She stood in the middle of the room in her best gown, as if she had been going to church, her Bible, a good-sized octavo, under her arm, with a wide handkerchief folded around it, and her umbrella in her hand. Drink that milk, Gibby, and pit a bannock in your pooch, and come awa'. Robert rose from the edge of the bed, staff in hand, ready too. He also was in his Sunday clothes. Oscar, who could make no change of a tear, but was always ready, and had been standing looking up in his face for the last ten minutes, wagged his tail when he saw him rise, and got out of his way. On the table were the remnants, remains of their breakfast of oat cake and milk. The fire Janet had left on the hearth was a spongy mass of peat, as wet as the winter before it was dug from the bog, so they had had no porridge. The water kept coming in splashes down the loom, the hillocks of the floor were slimy, and in the hollows little lakes were gathering. The lowest film of the torrent water ran down the rock behind, and making its way between rock and roof, threatened soon to render the place uninhabitable. "'What's the east so London yourself with the umbrella?' said Robert. "'You'll get it a dr drenched.' "'Oh, I'll just take it,' replied Janet, with a laugh and an acknowledgment of her husband's fun. "'It'll haul the rain on, blit me. That's gan ye be able to haul it up. I doubt the wind'll be or sir up to. I'm thinking, though, it'll be married to hard, ye bruck dry. Janet smiled and made no denial. No, Gibby, she said, ye gwine a little scrummy, but you'll hae to lead her. She went a be to call and sick a winds this and no plain road afore her. Where do ye think o' goin's? asked Robert, who satisfied as usual with whatever might be in his wife's mind, had not till this moment thought of asking her where she meant to take refuge. Oh, we'll just make for the mains. Gin ye be an agreeable, Robert, she answered. It's there we belong till, and in weather like this, nobody would refuse Bill till a beggar, no to say Mistress Jean, till her ain folk. With that, she led the way to the door and opened it. Gibby shot round the corner to the bar, whence through all the roar, even that every now and then they had heard the cavernous mooing of crummy, piteous and low. He found a stream, a foot deep, running between her fore and high lengths, and did not wonder that she wanted to be on the move. Speedily he loosed her, and fastening the chain tether to her halter, led her out. She was terrified at sight of the falling water, and they had some trouble in getting her through behind it, but presently after she was making the descent as carefully and successfully as any of them. It was a heavy undertaking for the two old folk to walk all the way to the mains, and in such a state of the elements, but where there is no choice, we do well to make no difficulty. Janet was half troubled that her mountain and her foundation on the rock should have failed her, but consoled herself that they were but shadows of heavenly things and figures of the true, and that a mountain or a rock was in itself no more to be trusted than a horse or a prince or the legs of a man. Robert plodded on in contented silence, and Gibby was in great glee, singing after his fashion all the way, though now and then half choked 
by the fierceness of the wind round some corner of rock, filled with raindrops that stung like hailstones. By and by, Janet stopped and began looking about her. This naturally seemed to her husband rather odd in the circumstances. "'What are ye after, Janet?' he said, shouting through the wind from a few yards off, by no means sorry to stand for a moment, although in any recovering of his breath seemed almost hopeless in such a tempest. "'I want to lay my umbrella in safety,' answered Janet. "'Gin I could but perceive a suitable spot. "'Ye was rich, right, Robert. "'It's Marworth, nor I can get the goodo.' Hoots, fling to fray ye then, lass, he returned. Is this a day to be thinking o' world's gear? What for no, Robert, she rejoined. A day as good's anything for thinking about anything the rich gate. What? retorted Robert. What we hae turn our lives in our hand, and can no more than hoop we may carry them through safe? Nah, she can continue still looking about her. I mind just do my duty by the odd umbrella and saying, come out at like Sakakrina. So saying, she walked to the lee side of a rock and laid the umbrella close under it, then a few large stones upon it to keep it down. I may add that the same umbrella recovered, and with two new ribs, served Janet to the day of her death. Thank you for listening to another episode of Agersoft Story Classic. Thank you.